0: Hi, my name is Pauline, and I'm a volunteer here at the Recovery Radio Network. Did you know that last year people logged into Recovery Radio more than 600,000 times and listened to over 875,000 hours of recovery? Please help us continue this mission of service to the recovery community by donating to our cause. Fire up your computer.
1: Go to recoveryradio.net and click the Donate button. It's that easy.
0: Hello, my name is Terry. I'm an alcoholic. I just, thank you. I just love that. I young lady asked permission to kiss me on the cheek. It's part of my story, having this collar on a lot. Um, I'm an alcoholic, and I'm sober today, and I'm. Deeply grateful to be sober today. Grateful to be asked to come and share here. This is usually a lot more gratitude in this invitation than some other invitations, um, uh, and I I have it. Uh, and thank you. I'm, um, in a, I, I'm in the only place in the world where eventually I feel comfortable, which is a meeting of alcoholics. Now, the uh, No matter where it is, especially if I show up at some place where I don't know most of the people, um, you always look like you're in on something. (laughs) Uh, Someone said the first point of the program, it seemed like everyone else came in the same car. Uh, um, And uh, it's only after... uh, Hearing a few people listen up and share and especially if I know a few truly demented alcoholics, it's reassuring. Uh, anyway, I grew up in a, a family where not only was there a long legacy of alcoholism, but it was one in which uh, was, was talked about. Uh, that uh, post article that uh, Saturday evening post article Jack Alexander wrote in 1941 uh, was delivered to my father by his father. Our Family tradition says granddad made a special trip over, brought the magazine and gave it to his son. His son, find these people. Uh, that's how my father drank and he, uh, I was alive then but not around to analyze things very much. Um, and he did find him and he was in the program 1943 and 44 so it's like this is a legacy you know the disease goes way back but the uh, but I grew up with the discussion of the disease concept in the kitchen uh, first drink gets you drunk if you're an alcoholic first drink gets you drunk once an alcoholic always an alcoholic don't even think about trying to learn how to drink again you know um, first drink gets you drunk yeah. And um, I knew all that by the time I was six, seven. Um, my father went in and out of the program. He had a, uh, a slip and he got back in. And my mother says he was working with others because one man he brought home peed on the couch and uh, figured that must have been someone he was working with. Um, and. Uh, my father had another slip, and he died in withdrawal. I was six and a half. I had three little sisters, an older brother, and I knew what my daddy died of. So I, I grew up with an intense awareness. My mother had three brothers who were alcoholic, two of whom would visit us with some regularity. Uh, and it was easy to get to our house. I grew up in Hawthorne near the LA airport. And in, the, in those days, if you got the streetcar two blocks off the heart of Skid Row, if you if you had a nickel, I guess you could get on the streetcar, and when they kicked you off the streetcar into the line, you were three blocks from our house, and our house was even downhill, so it was um, it was easy to get there. Uh, and we, had, we would host Matt or Bill, uh, and so I grew up with my uncle Matt, and my uncle Bill showing up. And the rule of the house was that if you showed up really thick and drunk and dirty, you're welcome. You could. But you had to stay in the boys' room in the garage, and, um, and if you made the run, in a way you noticed, then you got a formal expulsion, trying to get you out the back. I know my little sister Kathleen, one time we were getting Bill out of there, and she said, and if that's a disease you got, don't come back, because I don't want to catch it. Uh, she caught it. Uh, it was already too late, I think. Um... Of, the, of us five siblings, uh, three are sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. And two who couldn't help but they were born that way are not alcoholics. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, as I, I went along, uh, as many, uh, you know, you grow up in an alcoholic family. We, we have a tendency to go one of two ways. Uh, We either kind of are just troublemakers and don't fit in and resist everything and uh, wild. Or we try to create security by creating order. And uh, I was one of those, I tried to create order. Get good marks in school, behave myself, and keep my head down. Uh, And that way you don't get it knocked off and you don't, uh, I think part of the legacy uh, w is sharing this morning. He's adult child, Al-Anon, an alcoholic, and I think what, only about two thirds of us qualify for all programs. Um, um, I'm um, one legacy of growing up in that, that kind of a situation uh, is that the you know you, you, I got a good education, you know. and actually it was kind of stable because we stayed in the same house. My mother was a, uh, uh, you know, didn't have don't on in those days, right then. But she's a good theologian. said a lot of sense. Um, uh, but I, I grew up with this thing, uh, which I think is characteristic of some of us from alcoholic families, where I have great tolerance for major disorders, you know. If you're a felon... I'm cool, you know, tell me about it. Uh, But if you speak overtime two or three minutes, (laughs) you've got a problem, you know. Uh, I don't don't mind if you're going to take the next five years and make amends for your financial things, but I hope you went to the bathroom already before you came here. That disrupts things. I mean, minor disruptions affect me emotionally in this big old way, and, and other things just uh, you know, someone truly uh, destroying the whole organization. Well, that's the brakes, you know, history moves on. Um, <laughs> and that's crazy. That's part of my insanity, and I'm carrying that along. I need the program on every level. Um, I went along in my, in my young years, say, in the middle of this discussion on alcoholism and reacting to alcoholism and rather and mostly my uncles. Uh, and I uh, I uh know, I, one thing I like to say about my Uncle Bill, he, he was my favorite. And when he was sober, it was just so wonderful. Just such a bright sense of humor, just wonderful to be around. When he was drinking, he was just a, you know, royal pain he. Um, and I got to thinking about alcohol, because we talked about it so much. I was already, as a kid, computing the odds of me being alcoholic. And, um, and I thought, you know, could happen. They say it's a disease, it's not a moral issue. If you catch it, you got it, you got it. That's it. So I was thinking I might be alcoholic. Way before I drank. And um, but I thought, if I ever turn out to be alcoholic, I, know, I mean, I'll, I'll just quit. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: the, um, I figured, um, because I'd never do to anybody what my Uncle Bill did to me. A lot of talk these days about child abuse, you know, beating up kids, sexually molesting. He didn't do either one of those things to me. But what he did do I'd say I'd never do to anybody. What he did do was if he was drinking. He kind of maneuvered me into a corner and bore me to death.
1: <laughs>
0: he would just same old things over and over. Old di- stories, definition of words, breathed <laughs> on me real heavy, left me trapped. You know. And then when you're talking to a drunk, you don't get your turn in the conversation. You say something back to them and it, oh, it doesn't register. It's, uh, in fact, I, you, you, the longer you talk to a drunk, the dumber you feel. Because uh, you just lose faith in your capacity to form sentences. But they don't give you anything back that they, that they heard what you said, you know. And I thought I'd never, I just just couldn't stand the thought of children kneeling and praying to their higher power. Please don't let Uncle Terry come over. Uh, uh, I didn't. So I had that kind of straight. Took a pledge not to drink till I was 21. That's what Catholic kids did a lot when they were confirmed the bishop had come to town for confirmation. And it was, um, uh, they don't do that so much. I don't think they do it anywhere anymore, but it's an Irish sort of thing, Irish bishops. And, uh, everyone would stand up and pledge not to drink till they're 21. And, uh, it's kind of a Catholic version of just say no, I guess. But the, um, I, I took them up on it, and uh, I took the pledge. Everybody said to me, Don't worry. Nobody keeps the pledge. Um, have a drink. And... Uh, I said, I'm going to keep. I think it might be my alcoholic stubbornness that made me keep the pledge, you know, uh, and going to the seminary to study to be a priest. And um, I liked I like that. I did it pretty early. Started out early. Um, when I was in college, I wrote a paper on alcoholism. Went to meetings for research. I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous two years before I had a drink. And uh, recalculated my odds of being alcoholic. This time I was getting more mathematical about it, and I thought, I thought I had about a 50-50 chance. Because it's one out of ten for the general population, but it runs in families. And it's running in my family, you know, big time, both sides. And my older brother was showing signs of being normal, and I thought, statistically, this was not good for me. And, And he's... And he still is. I mean, he's just something. My brother's the kind that has a good bottle of scotch. And uh, uh, Christmas after Christmas, I just check on it and see, got the good bottle still? Yeah. Can you imagine having a good bottle? You can check on every Christmas. Anyway, I was, uh, when my pledge was up, 21st birthday, I noticed it didn't get by me, you know, without me noticing it. And I was in the summertime. I had a job, and I get in the seminary where we were nine months, out and I get a job every summer. And so, um, it was time. And I went to the store, bought a bottle of bourbon, sweet vermouth, bitters, maracino cherry. Got... Um, <laughs> The Southern Comfort used to put in these ads, staple in the middle of Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report, and they'd give you sixteen recipes for America's sixteen most beloved cocktails, and um, all the math, you know, sugar and half of this, a dash of that, half sugar, and uh, I got that there for a guide and uh, mixed up a batch of Manhattan's and discovered America, you know. (laughs) Uh, uh, There was, there was no lag time. No. It was uh, going straight into obsession, straight into, into major discovery. Uh, I just couldn't get over it. An alcohol high speaks to me, very deep, a wordless kind of thing. I'll, I'll put something to the words, but the words don't do justice to the message. To the message. Uh, the message Maybe the most important one was just, they can't get you now. Now, who's trying to get you? I don't know, but they can't get me. Uh, I became embarrassment proof, you know. People talking about being bulletproof, well, I wasn't around bullets much, but I was, um, I was around public humiliation, and uh, that's the bullet that I felt immune to. And um, I know my IQ went up about 25 points. Uh, I became uh, convinced anything I'd say would be interesting. <laughs> and uh, it took me a long time to realize that's what happened to my Uncle Bill when he <laughs> yeah. That is one of nature's major dirty tricks, I think, because those of us who are alcoholics have two things happen simultaneously. It's not just one here. When they there. at the same time, <clears throat> the minute we have a double, we begin to feel interesting and become boring, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> just like that. You know. um, and so I was alcoholic out of the gate. I, I have no, uh, no doubt about that. It, uh, it reminded me of those, um, those, those. Boil packs of dried food you take camping in the high Sierras and you, uh, you, know, you get boiling water in high altitude and just pour in this little dry stuff and then Spanish rice. Uh, uh, and uh, just pour alcohol in me, alcoholic. And, uh, right. uh, and I didn't get to drink much, I didn't get drunk that day, there wasn't enough. Uh, but I was I was deeply impressed and i'm it's a big deal to me. Alcohol is a big deal. And it's the biggest deal right now is that I get to be sober a day at a time and available to God's grace to be act like a human being most of the time. And um, uh, And the big deal part of it was it's funny that if if I had any if I didn't have a bunch of defensiveness, I would have noticed right away, this is a, hey, this is a big deal, that means you're obsessed, that means you're alcoholic, okay, time to quit. Um, My reaction was, uh, boy, is this ever good, whatever you do, don't become an alcoholic. (laughs) If you're that, you can't drink at all, you know, Uh, be careful. Um, And so, (laughs) and by the way, all kinds of symptoms of the disease, and I read about the symptoms, I did my paper on alcoholism, you know, two years before I had a drink and I I wrote a big chapter on definitions of alcoholism and uh, listed symptoms and I uh, but you know you can't notice them in yourself that much uh, one of the symptoms uh, I think of our disease is that we lie Now, I lied I don't just tell a lie here and there I lie as a policy as a uh, another lot up strict policy.
1: Um,
0: And when I was doing my lying, I started lying right off the bat. Uh, I didn't say, oh, you're lying. I just, it just seemed like exercising my constitutional rights to privacy, you know. Um, But the lying, you know, I would be careful not to let any, say anything to let you know how interested I was in drinking, you know. And I wouldn't say anything to let you know how much I was enjoying what I had and I wouldn't let you know that I had plan B and plan A fell through you know, about, getting, about drinking and I wouldn't let you know how bad I felt the next day because I dreaded that dreaded anyone saying well then why do you drink maybe you shouldn't drink you know, so much uh, I, I just, I'd just i do a lot of maneuvers to get you in a place where you weren't likely to say that um and the uh, and I, I was sober for a while when, it, when I started, it started to come through to me, you know, just how uh, isolated I made myself by my lying and, um, and how the lying was about invisible while well, you started doing it, you know. Um, and I, to kind of bring, out, to bring that out for myself, I kind of imagined did it, what it would have been like if I ever told the truth. Now, I never did tell the truth when I was drinking, but if I had, I think it might have gone something like this. If you invited me over to your house and there was going to be drink, booze there, and I didn't have a better offer, I'd say, fine, I'll be over. And if I were going to be truthful that evening, I'd get there and you'd answer the door and I'd say, hi, thanks for asking me over. I'd like to lay my cards on the table and get a few things straight before we start out tonight. I'm here to drink. <laughs>
1: uh, and uh, and I'd, like
0: a, I'd like a double scotch right now. Not after we talk, now. Uh, to get my scotch and I say, look, you were nice enough to ask me over. I'm going to be a good guest. You got other people coming over? I'll mix it up and try to keep this thing rolling. You got games to play? I'll play the games. <laughs> Just don't get between me and the bar and we'll get along all right. Now in this kind of an evening I get a little bit gassed. But usually I get through all right. It's not always in good taste, but uh, you get through without much damage. But once in a while, I'll go nuts, and um, I might throw up on the rug, or get in a fight, or attempt a seduction in a particularly tasteless way. But um, but that's the chance you take when you ask me over. <laughs> I have feeling you weren't honest either. <laughs> uh, anyway, that um, I went through the rest of my student years uh, drinking when I could, which wasn't very often. I was in a in a seminary where they allowed no booze, and I uh, didn't cheat on that more than once or twice. Um, and I, but I drank when I could in the summertime, and. Um, and I'm just so alcoholic. I mean, it was, uh, I wasn't in trouble then, because I, I just couldn't get access. I had nobody, no, my friends didn't drink much, I had hardly any money. Um, I was in a, a structure life that really encouraged moderation, to say the least. Um, <laughs> I was, a couple of guys uh, were arguing about who could drink beer, most wants of beer, and they, they, uh, they arranged a contest. At a pizza parlor, and asked me to be the judge, <laughs> and I won. <laughs> you know, the, uh, you, uh, whatever, you notice yourself winning drinking a contest that you're not in, you know, it's a sign. And the and there was this. Uh, no, the obsession was there. The uh, the the great. Uh, When I I drank, uh, sometimes I drank like the pizza parlor thing, and I got drunk a few times in those early days, Um, but most of the time I didn't, uh, but I was interested, you know, it had my full attention. I was focused on alcohol, if alcohol was in my life, you know, and I would get more than anyone else there. Unless you were there, maybe, you know. Uh, um, And then I went through uh, those years and was uh, ordained a priest. And I I live and work as as one in Los Angeles right now. Um, Actually, I get to do a lot of stuff with my brother and sister alcoholics, addicts uh, that just kind of fell into as time went on with our directing retreats and working in our personnel department, uh, personnel for priests. And I've been uh, the one doing interventions for alcoholism and drug addiction in the clergy for the last 20 years. And you can just imagine how popular I am. <laughs> You just have to take me out and shoot me when I'm done with this. Um, Anyway, um, and I went down the tubes quickly. I'm I'm grateful to report. Uh, There's nothing too spectacular about my my drinking. It's just alcoholic done by by someone with that... uh, who had a big... lots of motivation to not get in trouble. Um, So I was a booze fighter. I was... uh, Hyper self-conscious about my drinking, I was thinking maybe you're alcoholic, really early, you know, just real early. And I thought, well, if I am alcoholic, it'll kind of I'll notice more symptoms as I go along. And uh, and then when they kind of build up a little bit, I'll know it's time to quit and I'll quit. So I won't be like my uncle Bill. Um, And of course, I was kind of amazed that the symptoms were building up and I wasn't getting motivated to quit. I thought, I wonder when I'm going to quit. Um, and, the, um, and, and it was just um, you know I was bar hopping my way home from places uh, uh, when there was a drinking occasion and I liked scheduled bars I, you know I have this you know this clean cut kid in his mid-twenties stopping on the Silver Dollar in East 6th Street and, um, but I, but it was just I didn't have any money and it was really more bang for the buck in um, bars where they don't have padded naga hide, you know, pay for it um, also we, we all have some things in our, that we associate with alcoholism some people it's the morning drink and if you, just, if you just don't drink in the morning that means you're not alcoholic so a lot of people are suffering terribly in our country because they're waiting too long to have a drink, you know, to have your Yeah. Other people is getting to work. If you get to work, that means you're not an alcoholic, you know. Um, and maybe one of those things were on my list. My list, somehow, I don't know where I got it. It was, if you buy a big bottle late at night, you're an So you, know? you can bar hop your way home, but don't buy a big bottle late at night. That's somehow... So I would avoid that and was constantly running out and not having anything. Um, and trying to learn the ropes and I was not cynical about my vocation, I was trying my best, uh, uh, but, you know, just, it was just go on like this. And, I, and I'm convinced that, um, you know, alcoholic drinking has a, uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I think the reason they call it spirits, <laughs> is that getting high in alcohol is the closest thing to a spiritual awakening that isn't. You know, it's, uh, the closest thing is feeling, you know, the feeling is transcendence is above it all. I'm flying. The little nitpicky things of life don't matter. It's cosmic union I'm interested in, you know, um, and I, and I want God, you know, this, I remember, um, I was sober for a while before I, I recognized this negative feeling that I would get when I begin to drink. I just have a couple of drinks, and then there'd be a shadow, a cloud, and um, and after a while, I thought, you know, I think that cloud is the fact that when I drink, the minute I get high, I realize that I'm going to have to come down. That's very depressing. I I don't want to come down. I want to get high, a little higher, and a little higher, break right through the clouds and see the face of the Living God. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and something in me knows that's not going to happen, you know. We're going to get tired, it's going to get late, it'll be too much, you will know, be uh, screwed up. And it's just depressing. And it, and so you can't admit you have that feeling. you got to be sober about ten years before you can even begin to say that. Um, you know, you wouldn't likely say if someone said, you know, we did the party, you're starting, and you look like you have a little... You know, something in your eyes tells me you're not peaceful with everything, you know. How, how, how's it going? Well, I'm just kind of depressed that I can't stay loaded forever. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I'm not ready to say that. It's too, uh, uh, but that's, um, so it's something like a spiritual awakening, and at the same time, it's the exact opposite of a spiritual awakening. Now, I think of a, a genuine spiritual awakening, one of the other than the the very heart of a spiritual awakening of being in the presence of God in a way that touches you deep in the deepest part of yourself, and that has the effect of bringing to life the child of God within and, um, and acting like a child of God. Um, but, you know we, we have our that, that light is too bright, you know. And if you want to, know, it's like examining the sun or something, examine what it does. Uh, and I say a look at the effects of a spiritual awakening. Like the most reliable effect of a spiritual awakening to me is that it's very natural to identify in love with other people. Uh, it, treat people decently. <laughs> you know, actually have tolerance and love. Um, and uh, when I have a couple of double scotches, That's exactly what I don't do. That's exactly, I had a little chance of relating and paying attention to you. But once I have a drink, I am owned by the drinking process. I am, my life energy is taken up, it's like a vacuum cleaner, into the drinking project. And I'm I'm all for you. I hope you do all right. It's just that I can't actually care for you right now. I mean, I... If I have the time or something, I'd be happy to do it, but I'm really busy right now with a drinking project. Maybe later, but you know, But right now, too bad. I can barely handle old stuff, right? I can't afford new stuff. Uh, I, I can't even hardly hang on with the old stuff. So, you know, I can't listen to you because this, I can't actually care for you right now. I mean, I... If I had the time was something, I'd be happy to do it, but I'm a really little busy right now with a drinking project. Maybe later, but you know, but right now, too bad. I can barely handle old stuff, right? I can't afford new stuff. Uh, I, I can't even hardly hang on with the old stuff. So, you know, I can't listen to you because it's, I'm just too busy. Um, and... Uh, and so I can't, I have to treat you badly when I kind of like you and I'm, I have no bad intentions. I just don't listen to you. I can't care about you in any effective way. In other words, as the big book says, I step on the toes of others and uh, made decisions in the past based on self. that later pushed me, placed me in the position to be hurt. Uh, and every time I'm under the influence of alcohol, I will step on your toes because of a decision based on self and I will, I'll get you a little bit disturbed with me. You know, I'll get you hurt and disappointed and I'll get you so that you really aren't so happy to see me coming. Uh, and I'll say, you know, look at this world. You know, you think people would be nicer. They're supposed to be, they love each other. Not loving me very much, you know. Um, uh, and, I'll, and I'll blame you for what I've done to you. Um it' uh takes allen on years to catch on to that um, um, anyway i i got into a routine of uh, uh of drinking increased uh and i uh, i started quitting and I'd quit for a few days and then drink and um I was kind of doing that, and then I quit for six months one time, almost six months. I say, like, yeah, you can't say there five months, and three weeks, something like that. And, um, and at the end of that time, I was really impressed with myself that I quit. And I, um, and I thought, well, you quit for almost six months. This proves you've got the talent to quit. And as long as you're sure you've got the talent to quit, you might as well start. Because if there's any trouble in the future, just quit past. So if you can do it, you're told you can do it. Uh, and so I did that, and uh, on the vacation, I started drinking again, and uh, it was bad. Uh, I was, um, you know, from not drinking all that time. I'm on a vacation in New York, nodding out at 4 in the morning on a subway by myself, thinking, this is probably not a very good idea. Um, uh, and um, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so that, that went on, uh, and when I, uh, after that I, I quit a lot, I had a life of quitting. And I, and if you say, you know, I think you're alcoholic, and say, yeah I am, but I'm, why don't you go to AA? Well, if I went to AA, they just try to get me to, try to convince me of a lot of things that I already know, you know. <laughs> they try to say, it's a disease, well I know that, you know. They'd try to say, first drink gets you drunk, let me tell you, you know kind of story and so i just went on and on and i finally decided i quit quitting because i thought quitting <laughs> if, if you quit drinking for life one, ten times a month it will affect your self-esteem <laughs> and so i uh so i decided if i quit quitting i'll be cool I, I won't drink i won't drink so much when i start again you know and so i quit quitting and settled into a groove of um, drinking about a fifth of whiskey a day. Uh, that's way too much, not nearly enough. You know? Drink like that, it's, um, uh, it, you know, it destroys your life and kills you. But at the same time, it's, you know, a fifth, that's less than a quart.
1: Uh,
0: I mean, it takes great discipline to drink a fifth a day you know um, you have to you know plan Say that you only get a drink one out of every five times you need one and then you can make the bottle last you know, mm-hmm. around the clock uh, I've never done anything more difficult than that you know, and I couldn't do that all the time and I'd skip days I I think nature just saying you know don't drink today and I I'd be kind of puzzled. me days I didn't drink uh, and I was, you know, I was a mess. Uh, I began missing things, got in trouble with my boss. Um, we decided I shouldn't, I, I, just, I, I got a suggestion. I just, I won't drink anymore. He said, I was going to suggest that myself. And, um,
1: <laughs>
0: and then I wouldn't drink anymore for a little while and start drinking again. And that that went around about three or four times. And um, And I would be, and mostly, not in public, uh, but it was bad. I know I got, this uh, is Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know I, I abused any other chemical that I got my hands on or that was near. Uh, I have a bad back, still do. I, had a real, I was in the hospital for a bad back. And they gave me some percadone. And I thought, it was Lent, and I, we were going to have a special ceremony for the kids, the stations across, and I'm going to lead that. And I thought, you should be sober for that. Uh, and, uh, so I thought, if I took a couple of that would calm me down, and I wouldn't have to drink scotch. So I took a couple of to it calmed me down, and instead of giving me the impression I didn't need any scotch, it kind of made me forget why I wasn't going to drink any scotch. <laughs> uh, we, uh, and I uh, and that was a true station to the cross. I'll tell you, we, uh, just, I, I trudged uh, around it with um, you know a, just a deep worry that uh, this is not going to be a disgrace, and I, I somehow I think I got through, but I'm not too sure. Uh, and, I, and then then I was turned into the big boss. And, um, uh, you know, when we finally get, I got fired and turned into the big boss, all, you know, and hospitalized for alcoholism all in the course of about a week and a half. And, um, you know, when we finally get in trouble, finally get in big trouble, you get nailed, you know, uh, it's, and all your relatives find out, your friends find out, oh no, it's in jail this car, you know, fired. You know, in the hospital, you know, we really get other people's attention with these deals. But, you know, I, my own feeling, I, I, I think, alcoholics here share. It's kind of a secret we have, is that when we get in big trouble, we're not that impressed. Uh, you know we live with a sense of doom every day and when doom finally arrives it's not that much of a contrast to a regular day so, uh, we're empty and without any resources and don't care whether we'll ever die and so kind of spices things up a little bit you know uh, get to go downtown you know talk to the big boss get to go to a hospital These hospitals are neat they pay attention to you they have staffing you know they, just sitting there, you know, a whole bunch of professionals behind that door just talking about you. Just uh going to figure out your situation, you know. And so I was fired and I went to a hospital for had aversion treatment. And uh, that's uh, not a widespread thing, thank God. I had one in Texas. Dallas, I uh, went up to Spokane. And it's uh, they give you a, a nausea drug and warm salt water and something to drink and and you're supposed to, it's a Pavlov dog approach to sobriety They create this intent, this uh, association between uh, taste and smell and look of alcoholic beverages and intense nausea. It's a different principle than abuse, but it, anyway. And I'm not going to go into that. That's not going to happen anyone too spiritually. It, um, but it's part of my story, and I, and I went through that like a champ. I'm good at hospitals. I'm accustomed to highly structured living situations. And um, and I know how to make alcoholic counselors feel fulfilled uh, when I talk to uh, The right thing. And I went through that uh, week, uh, you know, just doing well. And uh, they say, alcoholic's fine. I I agreed to everything. And I really thought, I just thought I would never drink again when I got out of there. It was so clear. I wasn't arguing with anything. And uh, they transferred me to a new place, a hundred and... Some miles away from where I was, started up again in a new parish. And first little meeting I went to, this—I mean, a parish meeting. It wasn't AA meeting. enough this. this woman said to me, "Oh, it's so nice to see you here, Father. So young and healthy-looking." They used to just send alcoholics up here all the time. Um, and uh, you know, I thought I for a thing, and I was. Um, few weeks after that, or a month or so, I was invited to dinner, and by the pillar of the parish, it was kind of a, look look over the new guy, you know, kind of a normal thing. And um, Sunday afternoon, and I had a revelation obsession the previous Thursday evening. I had two kinds of obsession, revelation type and wear down type. The revelation type, you're going along, it's clear, you're alcoholic, to drink is to die. Got that? That's Then you get this revelation. In 20 minutes, you're going to have a drink. Dan. Uh, a drink, huh? Well, time to have a drink. And um, the other kind of revelation obsession was uh, the wear down type. That's when i catch on to the revelation thing. You don't fall for it, and you say, "Listen, dummy." You're an alcoholic. You've been in the hospital. You're going to die if you drink. Don't drink. And you feel like having a drink a week or so later and say, "Look, you're no good at drinking. You're a depressed mess." The first hour you're drinking doesn't work for you. It's over. Don't drink. A couple weeks later, I feel like having a drink and give myself a long talk. (laughs) Give myself. Quote everything from the alcoholic counselors, quote from my term paper. And after I'm all done, I'd feel like having a drink. And say, uh, anybody who still wants a drink, after all I've explained to you, and after all you've been through, is so weird that you're not worth working on. And you might as well have a drink. And I would have a drink out of humiliation, but I wanted a drink. Anyway that first time when I, I began drinking wine and I I showed up at the dinner having been drinking wine for three days and I was not in good shape and uh, and we called and they called dinner and I find oh good we're having dinner and I'll do all right because I'm not going to be drinking they didn't have wine at the table I knew that my liver was just working it's working like crazy you know to metabolize that alcohol in my system I'm just kind of taking those Molecules by the million and uh, breaking them down into acetaldehyde and water and sugar and I, I had this model of a alcohol molecule. It's a pretty big one. It's a uh, carbon hydrogen. I pictured them breaking down and uh, they passed the uh, there was roast beef and some red vegetable and some mashed potatoes a little gravy. I finally got everything on my plate and I woke up down there. I came up slow, hoping nobody had noticed. Uh, and said, uh, "Are you all right?" I said, "Just fine, a little tired." Uh, and what I, what I thought was very unfair, was that every time I got straightened up and was all right, I'd wake up again down there, and I, I never remember going down. It, I, I felt, you know, like it was a cheating on me or something, and I got to go back, and I. I went back to that hospital five times until they asked me never, ever to call them up again. Uh, morale problem for the other patients. And, the, uh, and I got the detox the sixth time in a psych hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, and um, that was when my higher power began to draw me, I think, into recovery. And, you know, be careful when anyone tells what God's up to. Uh, but I just want to say, I, I'm not telling you what God was up to. I'm just say, giving a poor interpretation of the experience I had, you know. And the experience I had was, after I got through detox, I um, I just knew, it's like a revelation came up within me, and it said, you're going to be drunk again pretty soon. Nothing you do, it doesn't matter what you, try hard, get drunk anyway. doesn't matter what book you read, what, Prayer you pray, what resolution you make, what counselor you talk to, it doesn't matter. You're a flake. Something's wrong with you. You're an alcoholic, but there's something else wrong with you. You do not have the capacity to care. Whatever and think, whatever in human beings, whatever human beings need, in order to care, you're missing that thing. You, you just you know recovery becomes a little, a little boring, you know. And uh, have a drink and so I just thought you know you are truly hopeless and uh, and I believe that was a gift that's a grace to me Uh, it's a gift from God that I I feel I was permitted to feel my powerlessness over alcohol I haven't had a drink since that day but i was sure I would snuck some pills and changed my sobriety date another story but uh, and I went out of that detox um, over to into New Jersey they I got to winter in Jersey um, in a recovery house for priest alcoholics and uh, uh, and they were so old I, I was the youngest one by 16 years I mean they were old they were as old as I am now uh, they had no uh, no business drinking they should have quit years ago um, and I um, I was so sure that alcoholics anonymous would not work for me that I was relaxed at meetings. I was not on the edge of my chair, wondering, "Will this help?" Uh, I went to meetings every day. You had to go to four a week, or they or they wouldn't feed you. Uh, And I went to more. I went to at least eight a week because I liked the guys who were nervous wrecks. You know, want to go to the place? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. The only place you can go to was a meeting, and uh, so I went to meetings every day, and the. I had no idea that I was ready for something, you know, no idea. Uh, uh, To someone talk about a word that was not in their vocabulary? To identify, you know, more than compare. They said, identify, don't compare. And right now, that's that's the the slogan that's closest to my heart. most significant of my life as a recovering alcoholic. Uh, The greatest gift. It's one way I have an, uh, an angle of the great gifts we receive. Um, but I started to identify with people. I didn't even know. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, I didn't know I was listening. I didn't know I wasn't listening before. Uh, but somehow, you know, when the new pair of glasses, we can also say a new hearing aid or something. Um, hearing aid or glasses, it's kind of the same thing that things I heard that would just bounce off, you know, suddenly came in and it was the, uh, the combination, the, um, Somehow I began to just hear and people would say things. I think of a little old lady who was probably about my age, uh, my age now. uh, And she would set a twinkle in her eye and she had a thick accent, a middle European accent, had a long overcoat and curly gray hair and so nice. And I said, what's she doing here, you know? Uh, then her turn came in the participation, and I found out what she was doing there. Um, she was a true menace to the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, very sick algae. And, um, and as, as she was sharing, and I identified with her her feelings, and uh, this, was, this was unlikely, and I caught her eye. And those moments, you ever catch someone's eye just after they tell the truth about their own disease and sobriety? The the truth of our powerlessness and the truth of God's great work of drawing us into sobriety. And it's kind of said all of one simple thing. And uh, I caught her eye and, and she caught my eye. And she knew I was new. And I was just happy. I was thrilled that she was sober and that it was working. And she was happy that I was there. And she knew that I was a, a far gone algae. Anybody who would tune into her right away had to be a bad algae, you know. Um, and it's those those connections, those things of um, of deep blessing. I don't know. I, I picture the whole program judging people. You know, what word about judgment. Uh, and I I think we all have a negative judgment on ourselves as we get here. I judge myself as being basically no good, but at least that's better than you. (laughs) And and I think our new life starts with a new judgment, and the new judgment isn't opposite to the other one. The other one would be, oh, basically, you're just the best of all, and you're better than them. You know, they've got both sides of that. I'm no good, but I'm better than you. It's all comparing. And you come in here, and we're judged. There's a thing in Scripture about being judged under justification. We're judged. they got a committee to judge when you come in here. They all get together. Pronounce judgment. They say, we judge you, Welcome. You're a child of God. You're just like us. Glad to see it. Uh, and then they have this like the other judgment had a little thing that I'm at least I'm better than you. They say, oh, by the way, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you're um, the shape you're in. Um, you're a truly a menace to yourself and others. And if if you never come back, if you get drunk and never do any recovery. You're going to be judged welcome anyway. But the reason we suggest that you that you follow the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we've discovered that only people who take the steps can believe they're welcome. We're what we've been welcome for years. Welcome out of the womb. We're welcome in the universe. but it's a great grace to have it touch your heart and, and to know it. And once, once it touches and we give some answer, to, answer to the welcome and act like you're welcome, we come alive. Uh, and I think that's when the obsession begins to, to fade away. That's just a picture. And again, I'm not given some dun-dun-dun, the final truth. I'm, I'm given, i am just took too many philosophy courses and I put things abstractly or a story. Um... But that's the start, you know, a connection of grace, of saying, uh, we're really glad to see you. And when there's that, that judgment of welcome, the thing about it is it's true. See, if they didn't say you're welcome that day, you'd be welcome. You were welcome before you came in the room. But if a welcome thing gets down and touches you very deeply, something comes alive, you know, goes past all the disease and all down to the thing. And... um, and once it comes alive, the only way you know it's alive is when you, you immediately judge other people welcome. <laughs> uh, immediately have tolerance and welcome to somebody else. And then all the, all the step work to me simply invites me to take actions that place me in a place of sanity where I can hear the judgment of, of welcome. Um, and see, the steps, I need steps because my imagination... My mindset is sick and I'm I'm just amazed at how it hangs in there, how the sick attitude I have of self-centered fear is fully intact and taking in new information uh, right now and delivering statements. Um, (laughs) The steps invite me to do things I'd never think of doing. I would never think I want to be, my fear tells me become excellent then they can't get you. Become excellent and good and keep all your promises and be just fine. and uh, and the steps say no we'd like you to first, you a big disappointment for you. you're welcome, but I, and, and we know that you've had in mind for a while you'd like to get over all your troubles and, and, and you really get in good shape and be the way your mother always wanted you to be. Well, that's not going to happen. We're going to hold your hand while you get used to the fact that you're a dingbat alkie of the worst kind. uh, And will never be any significantly better than this. In fact, you'll find that not only will you be any less alcoholic, the longer you're sober, the more alcoholic you become. uh, And the more easy it is to identify but it freaks you out at first. We you hold your hand while you get used to that, and you'll find out that it's just fine. It's nothing. You meet people faster. You have a fine, just fine. Nothing of significance for human beings is going to be denied you. Everything's open to you. You're going to have a great life. It's just that you're not going to get your way.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, it's,
0: And, uh, and I have not adjusted to that yet. Uh, I have dreams of getting my way all the time. You know? I have fantasies and I'm also unwilling to be depressed that I don't get my way. And I'm willing to feel incompetent and, and uh, disappointed in not getting my way. And then I'm distracted by the program again and invited to do sane things, listen to you and I perk up. Um, because I start going sane again. If you hang around, if you don't have a drink a day at a time and, and do what's asking me to do, you go sane. It just happens. And then it, if we have little a few moments off where people aren't really engaged in the sane and loving way, we can you can always take a few minutes off to get into self-centered fear again and uh, and feel depressed and like a failure. And, that uh, uh, and to think that that's that's real significant, you know? Uh, the message is when we're taken out of a relationship a positive relationship of being judged welcome, of course we're in bad shape what do you think Um, but uh, I keep coming back Uh, this is the and some people, I just last my last word uh, because I wore my little sign of being a clergy person here Um, when I first went to meetings people would stop me and I had to wear, we had to wear the black suit in this every single meeting we went to when I was in my recovery house. People would come up to me and say, um, Father, you know, uh, you're a priest and everything, and uh, I'm just wondering, uh, you know the second step, the higher power? Uh, why didn't you just, uh, you believe in God? Uh, um, uh, Do you ever pray? Why didn't you just pray? Aren't you on good terms? And I get really upset when people said that, asked me that, because I didn't know what to say. It took me a long time to, to get where I knew a lot about prayer, but I didn't know much about me. And I had to listen to you to find out that my prayers were very self-centered, very, very immature. God, please help me stop drinking. I had secret clauses in my prayer. Help me stop drinking, and I'd say, and the way I'll know you're helping me is when I notice that I'm comfortable every minute. You know, that I'm. Uh, uh, God, please help me be a good priest. Uh, the way I'll know you're helping me is when I notice that I'm better than the other ones. <laughs> and uh, you know, so you could. Well, I'm drinking. I can sing, "Thy will be done," in Latin, but I can't mean it, you know, in, the, in any language. Uh, and what is, is it's, as the time has gone on, uh, I don't think there's anything lacking in my church that pertains to this. this we're all goofy. Uh, I got to just tell you this one. Uh, <laughs> My, my sponsor was an Irishman, my first sponsor. And he said, he often wondered, he says, as far as he knows, to be a member of the church, you got to have two things, faith and you got to be a sinner. If you're, not a, if you're not a sinner, you have no business getting into a church because that's it's, it's an outfit that specializes in salvation. Nothing to be, he says, I wonder why you fellows who make your living off it give the impression you don't qualify to be members. <laughs> um, and um, anyway, that's, they, um, but the, just to round out that point I was making, uh, you know, they say, well, why, why if you were so in you know, a religion, why did you need Alcoholics Anonymous? And, and it, in my experience, says, I need Alcoholics Anonymous, the whole thing, fellowship and working steps a day at a time, to be in good enough shape to go to church. And I think if people have had a positive spiritual experience, they usually recover in the church and if you've had nothing but just a sign of oh, God yeah, and just thank God you don't have to go to church. Um, but I, um, that's the way I look at it. It's, uh, I'm not complaining that my church doesn't cure diabetes uh, or alcoholism, but alcoholism is a spiritual message that's one drunk talking to another that touches us. And once we are touched, we can hear things. You know, we had a new pair of glasses. We can see. Thank you.